Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio and a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and Radio Havana Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. A brief update on COVID in Japan. Biden sent five former defense leaders to Taiwan, which upset China. Biden sent five former defense leaders to Taiwan, which upset China. In Myanmar, the media are being attacked by the military, leading to no opposition reporting. NATO is beefing up the defenses of allies in Eastern Europe in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The European Union is spending $500 million on weapons to go to Ukraine. NHK Japan. Now to the coronavirus situation here in Japan. Quasi-emergency restrictions are in place across much of the country. They're due to expire this Sunday, but government leaders now say they'll keep them in place for longer in many prefectures. A quasi-emergency is in place in 31 of Japan's 47 prefectures. The government plans to keep it for two more weeks in 18 prefectures. Those areas include Tokyo, Osaka, Hokkaido, and Aichi. Officials plan to lift the restrictions in 13 prefectures where new coronavirus cases are coming down. They'll consult public health experts on Friday before making a formal decision. U.S. President Joe Biden has sent a group of former top officials to Taiwan. It's the second time he's done so since April 2021, and it comes with ties between Washington and Beijing at a low point. The unofficial delegation touched down in Taipei on Tuesday. There are five people in total, all from the field of defense. They include former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Michael Mullen, and former Undersecretary of Defense, Michelle Flournoy. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbing says his country urges the U.S. to stop all forms of official exchange with Taiwan. Security experts say the crisis in Ukraine could influence how China chooses to treat Taiwan, including potential use of force. In Myanmar, more than a year after the coup, it's not only pro-democracy forces that are being suppressed by the military, it's also the media. So scores of journalists have been detained and tortured over the past year, pushing the media to the verge of collapse. NHK World's Inuma Satoshi reports. This report was fired by Ancho of the Democratic Voice of Burma, a broadcaster critical of the junta. Immediately after the coup, he sent out reports from the front lines of the brutal military crackdowns on civilians. But... 
One month later, when he was at home, he was taken away by the military. He was detained for nearly eight months and was subjected to horrific torture. He says he is still suffering from headaches. After being released, he escaped from the region with his family. He is still working online as a reporter, but has been unable to provide on-the-spot coverage of the situation. Myanmar is currently in a media dark age. News journalists are being suppressed. Our citizens are no longer enriched with real news and information. The world has not told the truth of what's happening inside our country. The media is disappearing quickly or, should I say, is in complete decline. Another media agency is the Voice of Myanmar. It was founded four years ago by reporter Naimi Olin and reached 1.4 million subscribers. I wanted to start a media outlet that's not influenced by any outside entities. My wife and I used all the funds we had saved up. However, the founder was detained by the military last April for giving anti-coup protesters a voice. After his release, he decided he should be careful when reporting on the coup. But then, he was criticized by pro-democracy activists, claiming the agency was pro-military, and started to get threatening messages. It is really difficult to take a balanced and unbiased point of view. People's anger and discontent against the military has grown immensely. The media is stuck between the two sides and can't do anything. Myanmar's media provides an essential insight into the situation there, but now it's feeling pressure from all directions. Inuma Satoshi, NHK World, Yangon. NATO is beefing up the defenses of allies in Eastern Europe amid the Russian invasion. The Secretary General said NATO stands in solidarity with Ukraine in the conflict. Their nuclear rhetoric and also the statement uh, that they have put their nuclear forces on uh, the highest alert uh, is irresponsible, reckless uh, uh, by Russia. Uh, we will uh, uh, do uh, what is needed to protect all allies, but we will not uh, further escalate uh, the tensions. Stoltenberg visited military bases in Poland and Estonia, where allies sent troops and fighter jets. He expressed his intention to step up NATO support for Ukraine by means such as members providing weapons. The organization said on Tuesday that some units of the NATO response force arrived in Romania, which borders Ukraine. The response force is a high readiness unit that can be deployed quickly in the event of emergencies. EU leaders agreed to spend more than $500 million on weapons for Ukraine. It's the first time they've provided military equipment to a non-member country under attack. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 7.245 and 9.865 or on the web at www.nhk.or.jp 
All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Part of the sanctions against Russia include blocking access to the SWIFT international payment system. Will this bring into play China's alternative cross-border interbank payment system, or SIPS? Will this bring China and Russia even more connected? French President Macron said that the invasion is the beginning of a new era for Europe and promised to increase military spending. Radio Deutsche Welle. In response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a number of Russian banks no longer have access to the SWIFT international payment system. Now, that could open an opportunity for China's alternative cross-border interbank payment system, or SIPS, as China is Russia's leading trade partner. Unveiled in 2015, SIPS helped establish the yuan as an international currency. SIPS' aim is to allow banks to process cross-border yuan transactions directly. Now, according to Chinese official data, SIPS has some 1,200 participants from more than 100 countries and regions. That includes Russian banks and Chinese subsidiaries of Deutsche Bank. Last year, SIPS processed transactions worth almost 13 trillion U.S. dollars. Now, Chinese media says that was a 75% increase from the previous year. Currently, SIPS, though, still relies on SWIFT for international communication. Russia's financial ties with China could increase. Cut off from all trade partners, Moscow is forced to reorganize much of its economy and trade with a focus on Beijing. It's been a month since the Winter Olympics opened in Beijing with fireworks and Chinese President Xi Jinping waving proudly from the stands. Abandoned by most international leaders, Xi had only one prominent visitor, Russia's Vladimir Putin, who certainly knew at the time that the relation between the two powerful nations would soon change. That's because Russia needs China after the West has distanced itself from Moscow. Russia might be optimistic, Last year, trade with China reached a record $147 billion. It's set to reach $250 billion soon. That's 40% more than current trade volume between Russia and the EU. Currently, Russia is China's second biggest oil supplier, providing over 15% of its imports. The country also covers 5% of China's demand for natural gas. Meanwhile, the food trade has been growing fast. In 2019, China allowed the import of soybeans from Russia. Last year, it added beef to the import list and just last week, wheat. China is also a huge buyer of timber from Russia's Far East, with imports worth over $4 billion last year. As for trade in the other direction, China sells machinery, mobile phones, cars and consumer products to Russia, with exports up 34% last year. China is also Russia's largest foreign investor, having issued at least $125 billion worth of loans for infrastructure projects that are largely tied to China's Belt and Road Initiative. As Russia counts on China as its new key trade partner, Beijing might show some hesitance, though, wary of trouble with its Western partners should it run afoul of sanctions. For more, let's cross over to Taipei and DW correspondent So Tsang Han. So how is China viewing what seems to be quite remarkable Ukrainian resistance against the Russian invasion? 
China still refused to call it a Russian invasion, but rather a conflict between Russia and Ukraine. It urges the Ukrainian side to assume the corresponding international responsibility and does not condemn Russia at all. But after the call between Chinese and Ukrainian foreign minister earlier, China signaled that it was ready to play the role of a peacemaker. Beijing said that Ukraine looks forward to China playing a role in realizing a ceasefire. At the same time, when Russia called China as its friend, the related Chinese Twitter Weibo by Russian state media Sputnik was deleted was deleted shortly afterwards. Many Chinese citizens said that we are not friends, don't pull China down like this, don't want to be friends with the aggressor, and others worry that such statements would be detrimental to the safety of Chinese people in Ukraine. Now, uh, on the economic front, China has vowed to strengthen ties with uh, Russia. What does that look like now that Western sanctions against Moscow are starting to bite? Well, we have seen Chinese economic and financial support for Russia. Even though China does not directly support Russia's expansionism to any degree, Beijing strongly feels the necessity to maintain and boost strategic partnership with Moscow. China has been supplying electronics, machinery and other manufactured goods to Russia in exchange for food and energy. On the first day of Russia's attack on Ukraine, China suddenly announced that it would allow the import of wheat throughout the territory of Russia, which was partly banned due to contamination problems. But we are not sure if China will further help Russia because it is in a difficult position and needs to strike a delicate balance with the Chinese government more than willing to avoid any action that could easily expose China to further sanctions. And so speaking of uh, possible partnership, now that a number of Russian banks have been kicked off the international payment system SWIFT, are China and Russia going to link both of the national financial transaction systems each one has been putting up? Despite the fact that Russia and China have strengthened the de-dollarization of local currency settlement in recent years, Russia and China still rely heavily on SWIFT for cross-border settlement payments. In 2017, Commercial Bank of China launched its renminbi clearing bank business in Moscow. A number of Russian banks have joined it, and Russian, Chinese, gas, oil, and gold transactions can be settled in renminbi. But even if the settlement and payment information of China and Russia can be exchanged exchanged within the country by passing SWIFT. The cross-border exchange can only be done through SWIFT. Besides, in order to promote the internationalization of renminbi, it is difficult for China to act independently of SWIFT. It is a very complicated issue, and we don't see how it can ease Russia's pressure in the short term. DW correspondent So Sanghain in Taipei. So thank you. French President Emmanuel Macron has said the invasion is the beginning of a new era for Europe. In an address to the French nation, Macron said he plans to step up investment in defence of France and the European Union. The president also warned that the war in Ukraine will hit the French economy hard, adding this is the price for freedom and democracy. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. As usual, I listened to more than 15 hours of international broadcasting to create this show. I was very disappointed to find wall-to-wall -wall war coverage, not dissimilar to what is on American media. Praising brave Ukrainian civilians for taking up arms, demonizing Putin and calling for regime change in Russia, and making war seem like a sporting event. 
I in no way support the invasion of Ukraine, but I could see its inevitability after a complete failure of communication between Putin and Zelensky. And the censoring of RT, Russia Today, in the European Union is not helpful. In fact, it worsens miscommunication. After World War II, most countries began broadcasting in various languages on shortwave so that people in different nations could understand each other's perspective. That is a goal of mine in producing the shortwave report. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet, like listeners in Mendocino and Garberville, California, Dublin, Ireland, and Switzerland did this week. Many, many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. First, a viewpoint on the delight and profits that weapon makers are experiencing as a result of the invasion. The United Nations has warned of severe funding shortfalls to the humanitarian food assistance in Yemen. And the United Nations said that children in Afghanistan cannot be held hostage to politics. Then a viewpoint on the Russian claim that a goal of the invasion was to denazify Ukraine. Radio Havana, Cuba. The reactions of several Western powers to uh, the armed conflict in Eastern Europe, exaggerated but not unexpected, have some of the wealthiest and most powerful corporations on the planet very happy. I'm referring to those that make up the military-industrial complex. And the fact is that war, hatred and fear are the great engines that keep these companies running turning into a gold mine what for others is pain and death, in such a way that if one day, by chance, peace breaks out on the planet, they would go straight to bankruptcy. For the time being, however, they are very satisfied after recent announcements, among them that, that of the German government, led by Federal Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who said he will invest 100 billion euros, some 113 billion dollars, strengthen his armed forces. The country that was the protagonist of the two world wars of the last century also removed one of the most edifying and pacifist traditions maintained for almost eight decades, when it annulled the ban on sending lethal weapons to areas involved in the military conflicts. In this way, the so-called European locomotive is riding the rails leading to war, much to the delight of the United States. This investment goes beyond the White House's demand, especially during Donald Trump's administration, that its NATO allies use 2% of their cross-domestic product for military spending. But the good news for the merchants of death doesn't end here. A few hours ago, the presidency of the European Commission said that for the first time in its history, it approved the purchase and delivery of weapons and equipment to a country involved in a war confrontation, in this case, Ukraine. The curious thing is that this money, 
450 million euros is going to come out of the European Peace Fund, something that, to say the least, is very contradictory. Belgium has already sent 3,000 machine guns and 200 anti-tank grenade launchers to Volodymyr Zelensky's government, and Greece will send ammunition, assault rifles and missile launchers. The controversial UK Chancellor Elizabeth Truss said that she will support the British who wish to go and fight against Russia. In case you haven't noticed, I remind you of one detail. Ukraine is not a member of the European Union, nor is it part of NATO. What's this all about then? In the White House, they must be very happy to see how cultured and civilized Europe is so enthusiastically doing all the dirty work for them. The United Nations has warned that severe funding shortages pose a threat to the flow of humanitarian assistance in Yemen, saying food rations have already been cut by half for 8 million people in that impoverished country. UN spokesman Stefan Duharic told a news briefing, quote, age agencies are doing everything they can to respond to people's needs, but acute funding shortages are threatening the flow of humanitarian assistance. Food rations have already been cut in half for 8 million people. Those people may soon stop receiving food assistance from the United Nations altogether. He warned that, quote, further cuts are on the horizon if funding is not received. At the start of this year, lack of cash had already forced two-thirds of major UN aid programs to reduce or close. He reiterated his concern over the, quote, grave situation in Yemen, including the impact of the ongoing Saudi-led aggressions that, on a daily basis, is causing civilian casualties. The U.S. spokesperson confirmed that over 23,000 Yemeni civilians have been displaced since the beginning of this year. The United Nations Children's Fund, or UNICEF, says children in crisis-hit Afghanistan, quote, cannot be held hostage to politics. The UN Food Agency has warned that 95% of people in the country do not have enough to eat. UNICEF Executive Director Catherine Russell made the comment over the weekend at the end of her three-day trip to Afghanistan. She said, quote, this is no way to live. The children of Afghanistan cannot be held hostage to politics. Decisions and actions taken today will dictate whether these children live or die, whether they suffer or thrive, and ultimately whether the country survives or declines. Almost 24 million people in Afghanistan, that is 60% of the population, suffer from acute hunger, while millions have already been displaced. Earlier this month, the United Nations World Food Program, the WFP, also warned, quote, hunger continues rising in Afghanistan. The dire situation, which particularly impacts on children, unfolded after the Taliban came to power in August last year and formed an interim government that has not been recognized by any country. The crippling sanctions imposed by the U.S. on the Afghani government and its allies are taking a heavy toll, exposing millions of crisis-stricken people to the vagaries of freezing winter. Afghanistan has about $9 billion in assets overseas, including the $7 billion in the United States. The rest is mostly in Germany, the United Arab Emirates and Switzerland. Almost all of these assets have been frozen, putting their country's economy into a free fall. 
During his speech to announce special military intervention in Ukraine, Russian President Vladimir Putin expressed the need to denazify the country, as well as to bring to justice those guilty of committing multiple crimes against civilians. Some may find the argument of eliminating Nazi ideology a bit strange and even extemporaneous, but in this case, the problem has to do very strongly with history and also with events of the last few years. During World War II, there was a Ukrainian movement headed by Stepan Bandera, which joined Hitler's Germany to fight the then Soviet Union, as well as to collaborate with the extermination of the Jewish population and other ethnic minorities. The world still remembers the massacre committed by these Ukrainian extremists in the locality of Babi Yar, outside Kiev, where in only two days of 1941 they executed more than 30,000 Jews living in that area. Somehow the germ of this harmful ideology remained there, since among the groups that led the uprising in Maiden Square in 2014, there were two organizations with clear neo-Nazi land. This is the extreme right-wing party's Voboda, freedom in English, which professes xenophobic, homophobic, anti-Russian and anti-Jewish ideas and only accepts purebred Ukrainians among its members. The other is the violent Pravi sector, right sector, which brings together small, highly aggressive, well-armed, neo-fascist gangs with an apparently efficient and structured organization dedicated, among other things, to training paramilitary militias. Then comes the Azov Battalion, formed by white supremacists who use a symbology inherited from the German Nazis and who are, since 2019, spearheading the attack and repression against the population in the Donbass. This battalion has about 10,000 troops and was incorporated into the National Guard of Ukraine, which depends on the Ministry of Internal Affairs, and subsequently transformed into special force. According to Daniel Kersfeld, a researcher at the Torquato di Tela University, this group is responsible for the death of over 10,000 people in the Donbass. This is a curious paradox for President Volodymyr Zelensky, who claims his Jewish origin, but does not hesitate to send neo-fascist forces against the civilian population of Donetsk and Lugansk. Perhaps the need to denazify Ukraine and bring those guilty of war crimes to justice is now better understood. The former president of Brazil, Luis Inácio Lula da Silva, is visiting Mexico and met on Wednesday with President Andres Manuel López Obrador. Lula was received in the Mexican capital on Tuesday by the Secretary of Foreign Affairs, Marcelo Ebrard, who wrote on Twitter, Welcome Luis Inácio Lula da Silva, great friend of Mexico and the cause of justice. You begin your visit to our country where you are loved and respected. Very happy to see you among us. The founder of the Workers' Party, PT, also met with Mexican deputies and senators and with the political leaders of the ruling party, Morena, National Regeneration Movement. Lula is accompanied by PT President Glacey Hoffman as well as Senator Humberto Costa. Newspaper reports point out that Brazil and Mexico are the two largest economies in Latin America and also the two largest countries in terms of population and territory.
Lula is the front-runner for the presidential elections next October. Recent polls give him 42.2% of voting intentions, compared to the 28% that the current ruler, Jair Bolsonaro, has in the polls. Those reports and viewpoints were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6,000, 6060, or 6100. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which will complete its 25th year of production in April, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.